Let's start with a word of prayer. God, we've sung these beautiful songs to you. We have declared our praise to you. Um, We have acknowledged our brokenness that we entrust to you to to make whole and to make well. And now we've also um, declared again together um, our need for you. And so I ask God now that you would speak to us. I pray that your word would be open in such a way um, that we would understand it and that we would be willing to wrestle with it to, to know how it is to be applied to our lives and what we are to do with it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start today um, with some heavy questions, personal questions. Please don't answer out loud, <laughs> but please answer in your heart, okay? Question number one, you ever been angry? You ever been angry? And I'm not talking the kind of anger you get when you don't win at a board game. Now, for some of you, (laughs) that's like the extreme. You don't like losing at a board game. Have you ever been angry? Have you ever hated someone? Have you ever wished someone harm? (sighs) Got your attention? I think we've all maybe at some point, and maybe you're the same way, You've wanted someone to pay for what they did, right? You recognize that you were wronged. You recognize that what they do or what they did is wrong. And even though it may not even be directed to you, you know it's wrong. And you want them to pay for what they did. Now, maybe it's easier for us to not talk about ourselves Or maybe it's easier for us to not talk about something that's happening today or what's happening in our own lives. So let's talk about it through the lens of movies. Have you ever watched one of those movies and you were just waiting in this movie, you were just waiting for the bad guy to get what they deserve? You're like, I'm not watching this movie unless this person who's doing such horrible things gets what they deserve. For example, if you ever watched the movie Sleepers, it's an old movie. It's a disturbing movie. It's about these kids who do something foolish, and as a result of it, someone dies. And then they get sent away. And horrible things are done to them in this place where they are sent. And then you have that courtroom movie moment in the movie where all of a sudden, one of the main people who was harming these boys, it becomes clear to this person that they've been caught. And you're like, yeah, you get what you deserve, finally. Maybe you've watched the movie Shawshank Redemption. And you're watching this, and you're like, how can this turn out better? And and what's going to happen? And then you have that moment, and I'm going to spoil it. If you haven't seen this movie yet, my goodness, it's old. So don't be like, you spoiled the movie, you know? Um... There's that moment when all of a sudden you, you, you see that the warden realizes that he's getting what he deserved from the person he's taken advantage of for a long time. There's something about our desire for justice, our desire to have people get what they deserve. We've all had these moments, and we want the, where we want the guilty person to pay for what they did. And this emotion, I want you to think about that emotion, whether it's when you've watched a movie or maybe in your own personal life. It's this emotion that I want you to feel 
And I want you to understand that these psalms that we're going to look at today were written through. This is the emotion that the, the psalm are expressing. That these psalsters want us to hear, want us to feel. This is what they were experiencing. They were calling on God, make the bad person pay. And we're going to struggle with this because these are very difficult psalms for us to understand. So let me introduce you to what these psalms are called. These are called imprecatory psalms. Imprecatory psalms. And we'll explain more of what they are, but they will make us uncomfortable. I promise you, they will make us uncomfortable. And some of you, you know, are going to be like, well, why would this be in the Bible? There are around 25 of these psalms. And the vigor with which enemies are denounced within these psalms have been a source for scholars and a source of difficulty for scholars and biblical, uh, biblical teachers for many, many years. The language that is used is difficult to explain and all the more difficult to understand how to apply to our lives. So let me give you a small sample. And some of you are going to be like, yeah, I just found my favorite Bible verse. Um, this is the one I'm going to memorize. For example... Psalm 17, verse 13. Rise up, Lord. Confront them. Bring them down. With your sword, rescue me from the wicked. Bring them down. Sword, obviously we understand the imagery that is being used here. What this, what this writer wants God to do to this wicked person. <clears throat> Psalm 58, verse 6. Break the teeth in their mouths. Oh God, Lord, tear out the fangs of the, of the lions, of those lions. Psalm 69, 28. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. Psalm 79, verse 6. Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdom, kingdoms that do not call on your name. Psalm 109, verse 8. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. And one more passage. Psalm 137, verse 8. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction... Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Verse 9. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rock. What do you do with these? Like, do you read these before we want to sing a worship song? Do you read these verses as a bedtime psalm for your children? Do you read these verses before you eat a meal as a way to call yourself together as a family. These are difficult passages to work through. And at the same time, they are in our Bible. So we have to understand them. We have to understand what do we do with these verses. How do we apply these verses to our lives? So we're going to look at today at the imprecatory Psalms. So let's start by looking a little bit at what they are. Some of the major imprecatory psalms, okay? I said there are 25, 
But there are some major ones, okay? The major ones are Psalm 5, 10, 17, 35, 58, 59, 69, 70, 79, 83, 109, 129, 137, and 140, okay? So those are the major ones. So in case you're wondering, like, well, maybe the Bible says this once or twice. No, there are a lot of these major psalms that focus a lot on this sort of approach and the, these kinds of um, words to God. In these psalms, you hear the writer invoking misfortune and destruction on someone. Now, the author imprecates, meaning to call down God's anger and judgment on their enemies. Okay? It also means to invoke evil or a curse on someone. These types of verses pop up often in, in the Psalms, you know, 25 times at least. So while we use the Psalms to give words to us, and we've talked about this a lot, how we use the Psalms to give words to our prayers, to say what we may sometimes know, not know how to say, to give words to our, our worship, we must ask, are we today supposed to pray these psalms? Are we supposed to use these psalms today as, they, you know, as we would Psalm 23 or, or, or some of the other psalms that we love so much? Are we to use these psalms in the same way? What about this command of Jesus? To love our enemy. <clears throat> what about this command of Jesus to, to not respond evil um, to, to evil with evil? Now, the, old the most common response to these kind of questions is, uh, well, these imprecatory psalms, that's Old Testament language, that's Old Testament sentiment, and so therefore, um, we need to treat it as Old Testament style, Old Testament teaching, and it doesn't really you know, work in our situation today. Well, there's some difficulties with that. And there's also, it's too simplistic of an answer. If you want to take that as an answer towards, you know, um, a, more of a biblical scholar or in a debate, you would immediately be told that's too simple of an approach. You can't just simply say, well, Old Testament is Old Testament and New Testament, New Testament. And so there we have to completely, completely divide the two. There's some complications with that. You see, some of the same sentiment that you see in the imprecatory psalms you see in the New Testament. Here's a small sample. Galatians chapter 1, verse 9. The Apostle Paul. He says, As we have already said, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Some passages say, accursed. This is Paul addressing the church in Galatia long after Jesus has ascended to heaven. Paul sees these Judaizers. If you've ever read the book of Galatians, you know it's, he's really addressing these Judaizers and he sees them not merely as misguided Christians, but as dangerous false teachers who are doing tremendous harm to the church and to their gospel. The mission was so destructive these Judaizers' mission was so destructive that Paul uses the harshest language here than he has in any of his other writings. To call for someone to be under God's curse is extreme. Another way of saying it is to call on them to be eternal, con eternally condemned 
by God. And if we can use really rough language for them to go to hell. That's what Paul is saying here, ultimately, about those who are teaching a gospel other than the one he taught. Here's another example. Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Guess who said that? This is the martyrs who have died for their faith before the throne of God, calling on God to bring justice for their blood. Bring down those who killed us for your name. What do we do with this? They have died for their faith, and they are now crying out to God for justice. And if you keep reading, you see that they are actually told, or they're first given a white robe, and then they are told to wait a little longer until more have been killed for their faith. New Testament. And then you have Jesus himself. Jesus declared woes upon whole communities in Matthew chapter 11. Listen to verse 24. He says, But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. And we know what happened to Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that story. Then in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. In verse 33, he says, You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? At the Last Supper, Jesus says that the person who betrayed him would have been better off if they had not been born. And Jesus speaking about the misuse and mistreatment of little children or those who mislead little children, he says it would be better for them if a millstone was fastened around their neck and they were thrown into a deep sea. These are the words of Jesus. This is the New Testament. So we cannot simply say about these imprecatory psalms, well, that's Old Testament language, that's Old Testament sentiment, because we see some of that in our Bible. So here we are conflicted. And these are difficult passages because remember, Jesus says, love your enemies. Jesus says that we should go the extra mile. Jesus says that we should turn the other cheek. Jesus says that we should not repay evil for evil. That we should not condone evil or the actions of an evil person. So we have the saying one thing, but sometimes we're struggling with, well, what do we do then with the evil that is in our lives? And these Psalms remind us, as difficult as they are, that while God is love, God is also just. And that God does not tolerate evil. So I want us to take a moment now, and I want us to wrestle with how do we understand and how do we work through these imprecatory psalms? Because I can already feel some of you are wanting to just push back. So let's put out some key things to remember. One key thing to remember is that these are prayers, okay? These are prayers. This was not a call to go do this. This was, this was the, the psalmist praying to God. These are not written out of a vindictiveness or a need for vengeance on a personal level. David prayed for God to enact his judgment, his sovereign justice and protection upon his people. Imprecatory psalms express a deep 
desire for justice. They are written from the side of those who are being oppressed. They are written from the side of those who are experiencing wrong. Imprecatory psalms are never written from the position of the victor. They are never written for, from some king who can easily destroy his army or his enemy and he prays and says, God, would you just spare me the effort? Would you go in there and just slaughter them all? They are always written from the side of those who have experienced and who are repeatedly experiencing harm, who feel exhausted by the evil done to them. It is a cry for God to intervene, for, God to, for God's justice to come and for the evil to stop. So the other thing that's important to recognize is that while these are prayers, these are prayers for God to take vengeance. These are prayers for God to take vengeance. These are not speeches to people. Okay, This is not this David standing up before the people and saying, here's what we need to go do. This is a prayer, and it is a prayer to God, for God to take vengeance on the worst of the worst. We are not talking here about someone who has cut you off in traffic or someone who, who's taking too long in the line or your boss who makes you work the weekend or the teacher who gives you homework, you know, like, oh, God, would you bring curses down on this person? That's not what we are talking about here. While sin is sin, in God's eyes, there are those who have given themselves over to evil. And what the uh, imprecatory psalms are doing is they're praying to God and asking God to bring an end to this evil. In Romans chapter 1, Paul explains that God's wrath will be revealed against all the wickedness of people. He explained how God continued to give people over because they would not turn from their sin. So God gave them over. And again, they would not turn from their sin. And God gave them over. And ultimately, this is the description of what we are left with. Romans chapter 1, verse 28. He says, so God gave them over to a deprived mind. So that what they do ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness. Evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, Strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They in invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Interesting. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decrees and those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. There's a level of evil here that most of us never come in contact with. And when I read what Paul says here, my mind immediately goes to those involved in human trafficking. Those who sell slaves. And yes, slavery is still an issue in 2022. I think of the disgusting people who exploit children. Child pornography rings. That to me is a whole nother level of evil. Does our heart break for that evil and for God 
to stop it. That's what the Psalms, the imprecatory Psalms, are speaking about. People who do these things are pure evil. An imprecatory prayer is asking God to put an end to the evil that is being done. To end the wickedness towards these children. To end the exploitation of women and slaves who have no voice. God, would you bring an end to that evil? That's an imprecatory psalm. So how do we apply this then to our lives today? How do you apply an imprecatory psalm? Because I, I don't want to hear any of you confused, you know, and, and you know, maybe our government or, or maybe uh, your boss, like I said, or whatever it might be, and now you are like, I'm going to pray these prayers every time someone wrongs me. That's not what these verses are meant for us to, to think about or, or the way we should process them. This week, uh, I was listening to or watching um, a pastor in the States, and he was talking around the same topic. And he's, he did something that I'm, I found incredibly help, helpful, and so I want to use his approach. The way he wrestled through this and the way he wrote about this is that he broke this into two categories of people. We cannot simply, it's too complicated, and it's, it's too messy of a topic for us to simply say, well, this is, is going to apply the same way to every single person. So there's two categories of people or two types of people listening to this sermon today. The first is the mission, or sorry, the, uh, the mercy-oriented person. Some of you are mercy-oriented. You would rather just, can't we all get along does there have to be such a thing as punishment? Do we even need, you know, what's mine is yours, and, and you see this in parenting, it's like, you know, it, I just don't want to do this. I, I want it to just be easy. Mercy. Let's just hand out mercy over and over and over. Those of you who are mercy-oriented, you will struggle with praying an imprecatory prayer. So here's something for you to consider. God wants us, those of us who are mercy-oriented, God wants us to feel something about the evil in this world. Think about that for a moment. We cannot simply dismiss this life as if there is no evil in this world. For those of us that are mercy-oriented, these psalms, should cause us to feel something about the evil in this world. We cannot just be passive and sit by. We must pray and ask God to intervene for justice, to put a stop to the evil. God is a God of justice and mercy. So we must at times also pray for His justice. Not ours, His justice. To be poured out on those who are doing harm and who are doing evil things. So that's the first group of people. Second group of people, the justice-oriented people. These are the people, we love you. You hear someone being wronged, you're there. Parenting, if I have to tell you one more time, you know, all the kids just sat up, yeah, that's my mom and dad. You know the justice-oriented person. We need... We need us, 
Those of us that are justice-oriented, we, need, we, we are needed. So for those of you and us who are justice-oriented, you are going to be tempted to seek justice at the first sign of something going wrong. And you can lose sight of mercy, or we can lose sight of mercy. We must learn to be confident in God's justice. Some of us justice-oriented people will want to take the sword out of God's hand and say, God, let me do it. I know who to go get. So let me do it. So we will need to allow God to be the one who brings justice and not enact our own vengeance on His behalf. We must learn to entrust God to do with people what He needs to do. We must be willing to release it to God. We cannot carry on our own. We cannot bear the weight of this evil. And too many justice-oriented people strive to be the ones to bring justice to every situation. And you, if you are not careful, will find yourself bitter, vengeful, and you will take and do things on your own rather than entrusting it to God. We must learn to pray for justice and release it completely to God. We cannot become vengeful. So whether you are mercy or justice-oriented, these imprecatory psalms speak to all of us. We must line our lives, first and foremost, up with Scripture, with Jesus. And we must always remember that we ourselves were in, in a time where we were under God's judgment and justice. We deserve God's judgment. Therefore, as you know, Jesus sent, God sent Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross for each and every one of us. And he paid the price of what we deserved. We must never forget that. Whether we are mercy or justice oriented, we must never forget that we were the ones who also received mercy from God. And so some of us here may struggle with this idea of God's judgment and God's justice. For some of us, His justice can't come soon enough. It's not severe enough even. These imprecatory psalms, as I said, are incredibly difficult for us to process. So if you're here today, and you have sort of just said, you know, let's just have mercy over everything, I trust that today your heart would be stirred to pray for the evil of this world to end. For those of you that are here today, and you may have found yourself already somewhat vengeful, we're going to get them, we're going we're to end this ourselves, we're going we're gonna to do this, I trust that you will learn to entrust the injustice of the world to God and to pray for God to bring an end to the evil. You need to entrust God with bringing judgment and justice to the wicked. So as Jesus followers, make sure that we line ourselves up with what Jesus did. Jesus lived on this earth in a very unjust time. 
We must do our part to bring glory and honor to him. That's the imprecatory psalms. Difficult to process, but they're there. And so we must learn to understand them, and we must learn to know how to apply them to our lives. So before we go today, I want to pray for you. Because what we've asked you to do and what we've talked about here today is something that we need to apply. If you're mercy-oriented or if you're justice-oriented, would you consider carefully what these psalms and what today's sermon means for you? Because we do not want to simply say, well, that was interesting. Never heard that word before. Now what? So I want to pray for you. And then when you're dismissed, to go and apply what you've heard here today. Let's pray. God, I want to first pray for our mercy-oriented people. And we love them. We're so grateful for them. God, you yourself are a merciful God. So you understand those in the room who are mercy-oriented. So my prayer, God, first for them is that they would never become rigid in their mercy. That they would continue to love and to remind us to be patient with people, to be kind to people, to see the good in people. So Lord, I also pray now that in that they would not put on visors to where they do not see the evil. So I pray, Lord, for the mercy-oriented people to have their eyes open to pray against the evil that is in the world. And then, God, I want to pray for the justice-oriented people. God, we know that you are a God who is just and that you will bring your wrath upon evil. So again, we understand that you understand those in the room who are justice-oriented. We thank you for these people. We thank you that they call out, that they're the first to respond, that they're the ones who will, who will take up the challenge when there is something being done that should not be done. We thank you for them. But God, now I pray in the same way that they would not have visors that would cause them to see that this is their fight, but rather that they would see that this is your fight, God. I pray for them to have patience with you. I pray for them to trust you and that they would be obedient, yes, but God, at the same time, that they would not go before you. So I pray for my church that I have this incredible privilege to lead. I pray for your people, that we would live according to your will, Jesus, and that we would bring honor to you in all that we do. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. my thoughts